progress. The experience of progress is some mercy came to me and I, I came up suddenly. But you were making an effort. But that becomes insignificant because what you get is so much outweighs the effort that you put in. Like Prabhupada used to say, take one step towards Krishna and we'll take ten steps towards you. Krishna is a bit of an aggressor too. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was such an aggressor that practically almost he infringes on the free will of the jiva. He makes it so difficult for you to choose no. Krishna gave Arjuna the chance. So what do you think? I've said this all now in the Gita. Now you choose. And before Arjuna can say anything, Krishna speaks again. <laughs> so that he'd be sure to make the right decision. <laughs> you choose. But by the way, I love you so much. <laughs> Try to understand. <laughs> I care about you so much. Made it very difficult. And what to speak then of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Prabhupada said, I came to your country as an aggressor. So we, we think, oh, thank you for that. That was very, very kind of you. Teacher should be after us like that. And so, this enjoying spirit that we're to be purged of, this is a kind of the basis of our whole material existence. In the erroneous worldview or perception that I'm superior to other things and to matter. and I mean, I am in one sense. I'm consciousness, not matter. But that's also a shakti of Bhagavan. And in devotion, then, the lower we perceive ourselves to be on the ladder of service, the higher we are, das, das, anudas. Right? So, humility is the absence of the enjoying spirit. So to be humble, then, really requires some knowledge, some renunciation, and we should purge ourselves of that spirit. And then we'll find that you don't come in the association of devotees to just kind of flaunt your knowledge, right? If you do, you'll be like an ugly duckling, like Balaba. He came in the assembly of Mahaprabhu's devotees and tried to show his knowledge. And amongst the swans, he appeared like an ugly duckling. He said, you know, I've written a commentary on the holy name. Maybe you'd like to hear it from me. <laughs> He's telling us to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu said, oh, holy name? All I know is Sham Sundar, Yashodanandan. That's all. He said, that's how he replied. Well, that's all I know. About. I know nothing about the holy name. He is the dark and beautiful and suckling the breast of Yashoda Mayi. He's really saying, Krishna, Krishna Nam, they're the same. Balabha said, but I've got this great explanation. <laughs> Mahaprabhu was uninterested. And he tried to share it with the devotees. The devotees said, Mahaprabhu doesn't want to hear. We don't want to hear. Then Mahaprabhu came to him and said, Balabha came and he said to Mahaprabhu, all your followers here, they're always chanting Krishna, Krishna. But their aspiration is to be like a wife of Krishna. And Wife should not chant the name of the husband. So I think they are making a mistake here. My book says, yes, that's true. In Vedic culture, that's true. But the wife is to follow the order of the husband. So if the husband orders to chant my name, then what? All of it was defeated. And so there was some, you know, Abhiman, some, some pride in him, some conceit that Mahaprabhu detected. And of course, this is Leela. Balaba is a great devotee. We offer our repeated pranams at his feet. But Mahabhubu used him in this way, in the Leela, to 
teach us. He thought he had written a better commentary than Sridhar Swami, his predecessor. Mine is better than his. Mahaprabhu took exception to that. Not that there can't be successive commentaries. There should be. But. So, we don't come into the assembly association of devotees to show ourselves around. We, we come there to hear and to, to take advantage and to learn. We are taught in our lineage in the Bhaktivinoda Paribar from Bhaktisiddhanta Sastri to address others as Prabhu. That means you're addressing others as the Lord. Bhaktisiddhanta Sastri were taught like this. So the association is different. In that association we're learning just the opposite. And we're finding it enjoyable. That is an andamayo vyasa. That is the joy that reality is of the nature of. And you're coming in touch with that, and so you're finding that pleasing. Pleasing to the mind, it is. Pleasing to the soul, it is. Pleasing to the, to the body, it is. Akshno phalam tadisha dashanam hi. Akshno phalam tadisha gatar sangha. Akshno phalam tadisha, what is it? Jivanam hi. Suddhulava bhagavata hi Associate with advanced devotees who are rare to find in this world. Sudurlabha Bhagavata Hiloke. To find a, a great devotee in this world, very rare. To do that, that is what? Jibhavpalam. This is the fruit. To speak about him or her is the fruit, the real fruit of using the tongue. To see such a devotee, him or her, that is the perfection of seeing. To associate with that is the perfection of touch. So, your eyes will be pleased. When I look at Prabhupada, my eyes are pleased. What is that? That's an old Bengali man. That's I. So I eyes of love that that he's creating. My ears are pleased. Once Prabhupada fell in my arms, I think in Panihati, he collapsed. I was right behind him. He was weak. And he fell right into my into me, my arms. I grabbed him and picked him up hmm, to touch. The perfection of touch. So this is going to be pleasing, and it's going to bring out your soul from underneath your senses as well. So it's enjoyable. But the basis of that enjoyment, real enjoyment, is the serving attitude that we come with and the humility that we, we come with. We cannot cheat at real sadhu. That's not, not possible. So if we come with the wrong attitude, we're not going to get association. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a consciousness, that association. So to be purged of the enjoying spirit means this. And Mahaprabhu said, you should be humble. You should see yourself servant of, of even the inanimate things. Especially if we, if we live in a monastery or something like that, we see the, the, the trees as permanent residents. They're not going anywhere. The plants, they're planted, the whole spring crop, winter crop, planted. They're only growing for the purpose of Krishna. No other purpose. They're worshipable by us. The cows, they are just to give milk to him and so forth and generate fertilizer and so many things. They're superior to us. One devotee was corresponding with Gauravani and asking him questions about life at Audarya, at our monastery. And so he was telling different things. He said every morning, Guru Maharaj milks the cows with Vrindaranya. And this lady said, he's milking a cow with a lady? It was a, a lady with 
just see on, on inappropriate behavior for a sannyasi. I said, oh, she doesn't understand. Milking the cow is like going on the altar for us. That's what it's like. Of course, I milk with Gorbani too, or whoever. The fact that I'm milking the cow, my one, that would be something to think about. And this is why, because we're seeing how this is like this is like going on the altar. We only have a few people there, also. <laughs> There's some competition who will get to milk the cow with with Guru Maharaj. If you heard, the well, Guru Maharaj was on the altar with his helping such and such devotee, you know, dressed to the, we, then we wouldn't have thought of it, anything. Okay. Oh, it's a good place to be. Right? So, Krishna consciousness is enjoyable. Susukam partam avyayam. Bhagavad Gita says, it's happy, it's enjoyable. So when people say enjoy, they really are speaking about Krishna consciousness. One way to, the beginning way to react to it is, no, we shouldn't enjoy, we should serve. They're wrong. And they are, in one sense, in what they think is enjoyment. But when you hear it, enjoy, you can think, yes, I should enjoy, I should be happy. We are pleasure seekers by nature. We're just going about it the wrong way. And how are we going about it? By dominating over thing, other things perceiving things as if they're inferior to us, as if their, their life is tied to our world of desires and wants, that their purpose is for that. That's why you're uncomfortable, because it's not. You're living in your mind, your goods and your bads, your happies and sads, and you want everything to fit inside of that and be comfortable. And you're not even comfortable there. It's preposterous. And you expect that the whole environment will be happy with that ludicrous to, to think like this. That's how we're carrying on. It's madness. What a small idea of happiness you can get in your mind. Such a tiny idea. And so things resist, the environment resists that. When we do that, what we do, when we look at the world in that way, we take the life out of things. That's why we see the world is, is inanimate. And Golok, everything is animate. Why in Golok everything is alive? They're seeing in a different way. Everything becomes alive. The mind, intellect, these are dead things in of themselves. So if we look at the world through those things, they will, even Bhagwan, his descent, we, we, we will turn it into something mundane if we just look at it with intellect alone. So if everything exists for a purpose, for joy, for the joy of Bhagwan, everything is existing for that purpose. So as much as we see a thing, perceive a thing, approach a thing, with a different purpose in mind, as much as we take its life away, and then we, we're living in a dead kind of environment. We're, we're dead. We become like matter, then, practically. That's the idea. <laughs> to change your way of thinking and be happy. Question? Yes, Mara. You, you said... Um that we're supposed to learn from you know, blades of grass and all that, but sometimes it seems like when in the concept of just learning from one guru is you know, kind of pushed to the extreme and it's so emphasized that um, we almost suppress any other ways of learning. And it seems like in, in, in our tradition that that has manifested in in a way where um, we have a, a tendency, 
you know, in our movement to look at things in that way, where, let's say, one personal guru is emphasized to, to such a point that even the perspective of the disciplic succession is somewhat lost in there. Mm-hmm. That can happen, we right. We have a tendency, or some devotees have a tendency to essentially shut away all other forms of learning and just concentrate on that one person and that one way of learning. So we could say that it's almost counterproductive to push too much the concept of, of, you know, of learning from one person or Well, I think that the point is that good instructions can always be abused, right? The principle is, is important, as we have discussed, but it can, it, it can be abused. That's why we need a Guru Parampara. That's why we need ongoing succession. That is called Yoganashta Parantapa in Bhagavad Gita. That means like a break in disciplic succession. That's what it means. When form takes precedence over substance, that's what you're kind of talking about. You're talking about kind of a, kind of a fanaticism and so forth. What did Prabhupada, for example, because this happens in relation to Prabhupada. Some people think like that and then they become so fanatical that they, they lose a perspective. Prabhupada didn't appear in a vacuum. He had predecessors and so forth. He had successors and so forth. That's what he was what he was doing, training successors and so forth. And you know, his commentaries are all drawn from other commentaries and, and so on. So one who goes deep into that realizes all these things and has the proper perspective. And that's what that's what paying attention is really about. But many people join a mission as an excuse for not thinking. And I'm telling you, spiritual life is not for not thinking. You're going to have to think real deep and be real introspective if you want to progress. But people join join the army so that, you know, because they don't know what to do with themselves and they, so that other people tell them what to do. People join all kinds of organizations and that is often part of their motive. So Krishna consciousness, Gaudi Vaishnava is no different. Some people join it and that's part of their motive. They want somebody to think for them. It may not be entirely their motive, and in the beginning, it may not even be their primary motive, but it may deteriorate to that at a certain point because it's really ch- quite challenging. Spiritual life is very challenging. It takes the most courage. It's a huge adventure. There's a lot of twists and turns. Instruction that I give you now, for example, 20 years later, if you follow it, may be the wrong thing for you. You need a new instruction to, to do it in a different way at a different time. Krishna does it in the Gita. He says one thing at one time, another thing at another time. He says, just do your duty. At the end, beginning and the end, he says, give up your duty. At one time, that, that, that instruction was important. At another time, the opposite instruction is important. So you've got to keep on your toes. And there's a lot of gray. It's just not black and white. There's a lot of gray. And that makes us, oh, that's a little disconcerting. So I want to be able to like get my feet on the ground and yeah, that's true. But what is the ground of being? It's love. This is what's motivating the whole Leela. And that's full of ups and downs. So it's an adventure. It's exciting. And it's a challenge. And our very material tendency, it doesn't go away because we join. So our tendency is to want to put it all in the fist of our intellect and hold on right there, I got it. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's Krishna consciousness. And then when we approach it like that, we start to become frozen, atrophied. We're not flexible. We got all the jargon. We can say all the th- what apparently are the right things and so forth. We're not humble. We become proud. We become mean even. We were talking about this this morning. Someone was asking us, why sometimes, sometimes devotees are meaner than people who aren't devotees? <laughs> it happens. So they may be devotees, but their material conditioning doesn't go away immediately. So, so therefore, we constantly need to be prodded and pushed, practically. At a certain stage, then, you may push yourself. You may have that ability, capacity to push yourself. But before that, we need to be pushed. You have to be near the fire to cook, right? Good association means to be near the fire. It will push us, challenge us. What will happen? In good association, we'll start doubting. We start doubting what we understand. I thought I understood Krishna consciousness, but now I'm starting to wonder. (laughs) Whoa. That's what's required. See, that's what Prabhupada did to us. We thought we knew so many things, and then Prabhupada made us question everything about what we were doing. Oh, then he created the teachable moment, as they say in academics. As long as you think you know, then it's very difficult to teach you anything. So this is kind of an ongoing thing in spiritual life. So someone will come and preach, and then you start creating doubts in you. But they're kind of like self-doubts. Like, I'm not sure. Wow, I may not be as advanced as I thought I was. Maybe I don't understand that book. I better go. I thought I read that book. I better go back and read that again. See, this is good. And then that person creates faith. This sadhu creates faith in, in herself when she speaks or he speaks. And so then we get we get a kind of confidence at the same time that we are feeling like disconcerted. Like I don't know where I'm where I'm, but I know one thing: catch on to that guy. Hold on to that guy's tail. You know, that's what we feel about Prabhupada. Hatch on the Prabhupada. I mean, his disciple, that's the life. When I heard from Shiddham, I said, oh, goodness, well, I, I used to be able to preach really well, and, you know, I could sell anybody a book, and I could convince any devotee to sell, that they should sell books, you know. <laughs> was in, in ISKCON, I was used to being able to, like, turn people's heads around pretty quickly, and it wasn't easy to turn my head around. I had quite strong faith in Prabhupada and what I was doing. And uh, I heard from Sridhar I said, well, this is a big topic here. And he quoted that verse, and I never heard it applied like that before. That's interesting. There's a different way to apply that also, huh? That's what it's, he's saying. It's, it's all coming from the same place. And so it's a very, you know, it's like you had to kind of step back. And you were, again, you were a student. It was very useful. Some people were thinking they were teachers at that time. Proved, many of them proved not to be that good of a teacher. The company made him feel like a student, so a little disconcerting, but, but it was endearing, nonetheless, because yeah, you know what well, he knows. <laughs> he knows what Prabhupada wants, or what, what, what he was about, what the teaching is, that's for sure. I thought I knew what it was about. I had some understanding, but well, it's bigger than I thought. So then you feel encouraged at the same time. It's just like one of my godbrothers once said a nice thing to me. He said, sitting next to Prabhupada, there's this contradictory experience. You feel like a fool, but you feel like you could take over the world at the same time. So I said, yeah, yeah, this is a fact. That's nice. I said, you feel your conditioning, but you feel your potential also as a soul. So encouraged, not just you've made a fool. You're a fool. You're a fool. 
You don't know? Not just that side, the other side as well. So, anyway, thing can be abused. That's all you're talking about. You're talking about a principle being abused. And that doesn't mean we should do away with the principle. But that therefore there's a need for these kind of discussions. Right? People say, listen only to the guru. So, like Prabhupada said, you know, all you have to do is read my books. So, see? Just read Prabhupada's books. But, you know, never stop to read them enough to realize that each one of them points to another book and references a book there. and More information about this can be found there. And You know, it's a living, dynamic thing. It's not a very good reading of the book. A fellow told me once, many years ago, he said, Maharaj, you know, why I don't want to get a, uh, initiated by a guru? I said, no, I don't know why. He said, I had a dream. I said, yeah? He said, in the dream, Prabhupada came to me in that dream. And Prabhupada took me by the hand and he pointed to all of his books on the wall and he said, just read my books. And so therefore, I, I don't feel I need to get initiated. I said, you should just read the books. <laughs> read a little better. Okay? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> one of the dominant themes in the literature. So one should have a guru. You know, it's the beginning of Rupa Goswami's teaching, Diksha Shikshadi, Guru Parashraya. <laughs> Better read here. Yeah. Read the books. Follow that dream. Follow your dream, okay? Read the books. Don't just talk about it. So are you reading them? How well are you reading them? If you read them, then you'll be taken, you'll be taken so many places. You'll be taken to other books, source material, and you'll find that, oh, Prabhupada said this here, in this way. This Jiva Goswami was saying it there and that way. This is what, then I connect it. I can, oh, that's what the full meaning. Ah, I see. But without that, then, like you said, they cut themselves off from the whole Guru Parampara. What was Prabhupada's main emphasis as, with regard to his credentials? That he was following a succession. I mean, he pointed to that repeatedly over, so to take him out of that. And, and, to not locate him in history is a great disservice because it's to not understand his particular emphasis at time and circumstance, which is the very characteristic of preaching. It's the speaking of the truth in consideration of time and place and circumstance. So then what if somebody says, well, hey, his books are going to be the law books for the next 10,000 years. So what then? We can't make a religion out of that. When the books emphasize over and over and over again, the preaching should be done according to time, place, and circumstance. Nothing's going to change in 10,000 years. More changes in the world in one day than you can keep up with. So anyway, can, such a principle can be abused, and it has. Therefore, we have to counterbalance that. I'm sorry, you had a question? If you could expand more on uh, principles, because you were mentioning I might give you instruction and 20 years down the line, you know, that instruction might not be valid. Um, you know, devotees always used to ask, how do you know the difference between a principle and a detail? And well, that's like that requires intelligence. Mm, yeah, so spiritual answer, intelligence. But I'm just saying, in, in, in practical terms, what does it mean, changing pr what's the principle and what's the detail? And, and well, in a very basic sense. The principle is to love Krishna. The details are how to go about doing that. That would be like an extended, simplistic Prabhupada kind of answer, which you know he liked to give and to keep it simple, which is a good idea. So the principle is to love Krishna, 
and then the details are how to how to get people to do that. And then, of course, loving Krishna, that's a big topic. Then you go into Vedanta, and there's a Siddhanta. So Siddhanta is, you know, it's scriptural conclusions that are the Gaudiya reading, Chaitanya's reading of the scripture, right? So Siddhanta is this going to be the same. The philosophy is going to be the same. The, you know, the Sambandha, Gyan, is the same. Therefore, you can only have one Diksha Guru. But the Abhideya, the application, may be varied. Therefore, you may have a number of Siksha Gurus who represent Abhideya Tattva. So, then again, of course, there are also principles with regard to the application. What is Bhakti? Rupa Goswami has given a definition. What is Bhakti? At the out- onset of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. What is that verse? Anyabilashita sunyam gyan karmadiyanabritam anukulena krishnanusilana bhakti rutama. Whole bhakti rasamrita sindhu expands from this verse. So, you know, the book is one thing, that Siddhanta is one, even about Abhideya. So there's parameters that what makes bhakti, what constitutes bhakti, and so forth. But then, you know, how to apply the teachings according to the time and circumstance, those are what are details. Like Prabhupada said, Another, another way he said, my claim to fame, if you will, I mean, he didn't use those words, but my, my credentials are drawn from the fact that I haven't changed anything. He also said that. Did not change anything. But we could say, probably you changed a whole lot of things, you know. Look at the way Bhakti, how Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur did things. Very, very different than the way Prabhupada did things. Why? Because Prabhupada was in an entirely different circumstance. He was in America in the 60s, and Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta was preaching in the 20s and the 30s in India. I mean, that's like the difference between day and night, culturally. And, and so, because the circumstances were different, then the details were changed. And there's so many different details then. And they have a purpose behind them. And then and the problem is, some, then we mistake the details for the principles. Like, I wrote to Butsal. Um, Last time I was here, I, and I went away, I wrote to him, because I want to thank him, because again, because he invited me to his house and gave me an opportunity to purify myself by, by speaking there from the Bhagavad. And I'm going there tomorrow, too. You can come as well. But I said, you know, you should be the president of the Prabhupada village. I want to you know, encourage him and so forth. And he said, ah, nobody wants to follow any, any rules there. You know, he wrote back to me. I said, ah, oh, you know, sometimes... You gotta bend a little bit, thought so. I gotta bend the rules, you know, in order to get people to, to encourage people. And a Prabhupada did that. And he says, Yeah, that's true. But I'm not so advanced that I can bend the bend the rules. That's what so many others tried to do, and that's why they fell down. Then I wrote back and said, That's not actually true, but so people didn't fall down because they were bending the rules in an appropriate way. He's talking about gurus, original gurus. They fell down because every devotee has problems with certain things. Every devotee has problems with kana, kamini, pratishta, you know, with money, the opposite sex, and honor, distinction. These are the enemies of all devotees. So who takes up the service of guru, you see, and everybody gets some, you know, every brahmacharinis, you know, well, not every one of them, but a lot of them got an eye for some guy, and a lot of brahmacharis got an eye for some gal, you know, in the crowd, in the kirtan. I mean, this happens, you know. (laughs) 
and it's human nature and so forth. So every young man has got one young lady pulling on him, and every young lady's got one young man pulling on her, maybe, maybe a couple, you know. And uh, so Kamini and uh, Kanak, everybody's, most of us don't have any money, so that's not a big problem. But <laughs> everybody wants some honor and so forth. Now, somebody becomes a guru. They take, accept the service of the guru. Let's say Gurudev says, you be the guru. Okay, so you've got to sit on the seat and be the guru. Then what happens? Multiply it so many times. So much potential for associating with the opposite sex. All these ladies touching your feet, and if you're a man or if you're a lady guru, all these men, you know, at your beck and call. This is like right at your door. Money, they're all giving money. All are giving you honor, honor, honor. So it's all multiplied thousands of times, you see. Kanak, Kamini, Pratishtha. The problem of every devotee is multiplied thousands of times. That person has to be strong. He has to have some standing in reality, realized, to resist that. And these men that he was referring to weren't that strong in some instances. It's not that they adjusted principles and things and, and made for real dynamic preaching or anything like that. I said, if you're going to be the president, you know, you have to adjust. That's what preaching is about. There's, I said, you can do that. Everybody does that. I mean, everybody does that. In order to preach, you, you always have to adjust and bend and how to explain it to somebody a little bit different here, considering who they are and maybe the, you know, who's in the, in the audience you're going to talk in a particular way. And, and that's just the very nature of preaching. Everybody has to do that. So he thought, wow, that's a good point. I realized, yeah, yeah. So everybody has to bend the rules or whatever. If you know the principle, if you know what you want to accomplish, and you're going about it, then you can tell a person to do so many different things. And you've got a line on that. And you know, oh, they're going to go this far with that, and I'm going to keep a leash on that, and I'm going to draw them in by this. And Like, for example, you're in a temple. This is experience of a lot of devotees. A new person joins, right? So, you're the guru in the temple. And you've got so many disciples, they've been hearing from you. And they heard you, you've got to cook like this, and you've got to stand like that, and you've got to bathe like this, and you know, worship like this, and so forth. And so a new person comes in the temple, and you say, don't bathe like that. Don't sit like that. Don't talk like that. Don't sit, stand. Don't stand, sit. And all of a sudden the person goes, man, this is like a heavy environment here. It's overwhelming. What does Guru Dave think? What do you think? You're the guru. You think, shut up. Don't talk to him like that. Don't worry about those. Those things aren't important. And I thought that was, that was the principle. I was saying, everybody's got to do like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to do like that. But don't talk like that. Don't worry. So I got him under control. Okay, I got the situation. I'll bring him in. My, you know, I'll, he, can, he doesn't have to follow that. You follow that, okay? You understand? It's, it's, it's like that. Just going a little bit expanding. So you're saying if you know the principle, then the details can vary. My question is sometimes can the details... Uh, and application of details or the adjustment and change of details affect the principles? No. Um, if someone understands the principle, then the whole idea of adjusting the details is to deliver the principle. So this requires realization. Preaching requires realization. I could say this. If adjusting the detail, he sees or she sees the preacher, oh, it's not working, that he's drifting from the principle, then he would change it. 
So there is some scope for that, I could, you could say, and making experimentation and so on. Preaching is full of experiment. Prabhupada said, I was experimenting with the holy name, giving it out, see what would happen, how they would react and so forth. They responded in a certain way and so I said, okay, we'll do it like this then. Well, that works for them. They like that. They, Prabhupada said, chant 64 rounds. They said, that doesn't work for us. <laughs> chant 32 rounds. Well, that doesn't work either. Okay, well, so they see this is a detail. Chanting 16 rounds is a detail. Now, could it be counterproductive? Could it go against the principle? It could. Yeah, it could. You're right. And then someone would have to adjust that. Just like Prabhupada said, chant 64 rounds. They said, and they didn't say, we can't do that. They just said, okay, we'll do that. Uh, but they couldn't do that. And so they were chanting 64 rounds and they were getting discouraged because they couldn't they didn't have a taste. They couldn't sit all day and chant. They're losing interest in Krishna consciousness. Then Prabhupada said, oh, have to adjust that detail. Make it 16. You feel encouraged now? Yeah, we chant two hours. It's good. We can, we can last for that long. You know, and then we're trying to stop our mind. And then, you know, so that's a kind of principle or a detail that can be adjusted. Mahaprabhu said, I won't eat from the hand of any person who hasn't chanted 64 rounds. But you cook for Mahaprabhu, I assume. I do. And I don't always chant 64 rounds. So following the four rules and regulations, would you consider that a principle? Or a Those are details. Just because we call them a principle, I mean, that's just language. Those are details. The principle behind those details are one should be living an upright, moral life, that the, the spiritual experience will arise out of a moral foundation. It's, of course, they're mentioned in Bhagavatam. So let's give a little more emphasis to that. Parikshit Maharaj uh, advised Kali, you know, in these four places you can have some scope. And so, therefore, the devotees are advised that if you give into these things, then Kali will have some scope, some influence in your life. But now, those terms are very broad, actually, in Bhagavatam. You can give a kind of a specific interpretation of those, and that may be useful. It was useful for Prabhupada in, in many respects. But they don't in and of themselves say everything that they might mean to the contemporary devotee necessarily. So there's room for adjustment in that. Let's say, for example, um, okay, let's say gambling. No gambling. So that's easy. I don't go to the casino. That's one understanding of it, right? That's a pretty simple understanding. I don't gamble. I don't bet on the horses or anything like that. But, you know, if you want to follow, pursue it a little bit further, you can say it means that you should be gainfully employed, really. That uh, you should have a livelihood that is honest. See, gambling is not an honest way of living. Scamming, you know, like telling people, hey, give me this money and, um, you know, I'm going to feed people in Bangladesh. And then you take it home and you, and you just use it to live on. And you call it Sankirtan because you're a devotee. Is that Sankirtan? Maybe if you're doing that and you're giving, them, giving it for Sankirtan, then maybe some sleight of hand, you know, by hook or by crook, sell the book. But by hook or by crook, put food on my plate? Is that an honest way of living? No, it's not. We should be gainfully employed. We should live honestly. Jiva Goswami says in Satsandarbha that we shouldn't take money. That's dirty. That's not, you know, earned in, in, in an honest way. Honest work makes you honest. 
That's what it does. Do a, you know, honest day's work. It purifies you in a very basic religious sense. It purifies you. And when you, we try to beat the system and, and so forth, you're doing yourself out of the opportunity to do an honest day's work and feel good about yourself. I did something good. And that has to be then interpreted in terms of the environment in which we live with the knowledge that you have also. So you know what uh, it means to exploit the environment. I mean, we live in an industrial society and that's a problem. So you cannot, you know, just do away with it artificially and so forth. But there are ways to, that people are living much more honestly, with much more integrity. I mean, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu teaches us to worship the earth as an anga of bhakti. Cows, you know, scratching the neck of a cow is bhakti. Gautamiya Tantra. And Jiva Goswami cites it in relation to worship sacred trees, which Rupa Goswami cites in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu as an anga of bhakti. So, what I'm saying is that things in contemporary society that you live in, there's something about living in the society that you live in that's also important. You have to live in the society that you live in. That's what Bhakti Vinodhakar did. He lived in British India. Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod, they weren't revolutionaries like Jagadish Chandra Bosch or Mahatma Gandhi against the British. They weren't against that. They were living in that environment and taking advantage of the opportunity that was afforded them for bhakti and so forth, and that was the government. And so, I mean, that doesn't mean that the government's always right or anything like that. But my point is we live in a particular environment, society. In contemporary times, there are things that are going on. You should live in it. You should be aware of it to some extent. Unless you're a yati, renunciate, and you're so absorbed that you're oblivious to the world. But even in preaching, Paribhajak is going to be a little aware of the world in order to preach in a relative way. So to live honestly, don't gamble. To invest in the earth and things like this and live simply and improper taught like this. It's all part of this, you know, don't gamble. In order to, to maintain yourself, you don't make a, a scam out of it. And how many devotees are doing that? Selling a hat and saying it's for this or that. I don't know what they do in these days. Better to sew for the deities. There are so many deities. Make a little homespun business. Sew for the deities. Why not? So don't gamble. So these things could be applied differently in different circumstances. No illicit sex. What to do? What if you go to a planet of homosexuals? What are you going to tell them? How are you going to apply that you know, kind of principle? You have to apply it in, in some kind of a dynamic way. Otherwise, they're not even going to listen to you, right? That's what Prabhupada did. Prabhupada came to America. Some of his godbrothers accused him of, he's got men and women dancing in the temple together. Huh. Horrible, calling this Chaitanya's movement. That's how some of them reacted. And we just laugh at that, right? But that's an example of the difference of night and day between cultures. Probably came to America, he saw, this isn't going to work over here. <laughs> right? So he adjusted it. He was very flexible. And he pushed on certain things. And when they didn't always work, he changed them. One of my godbrothers told the temple president... This was in Los Angeles, New York, many years ago. He was working very hard and sincere devotee and serving. He couldn't follow one of those principles, like no sex except for procreation. So he told the temple president, I just like, you know, I can't, I'm like willing to work my tail off and everything, and I love the whole thing, but I just can't always, you know, do that. 
So then that temple president brought up the problem. The Prabhupada said, tell him just to do here, as he has to do and get on with it. That may be shocking to you, but that's what Prabhupada said. You want to hear something more shocking? I better not say that one. <laughs> I'm serious. So, you see, Prabhupada was extremely flexible. And Prabhupada really knew the principle. He knew how to motivate and encourage people to love Krishna. And so he could go out on a limb, which any preacher does, and takes a risk to do that. Every time I sold a book to somebody, I was taking a risk. I was putting the Bhagavatam in their hand, what they might do with it. And some people did the wrong things with it. Some people were, you know, didn't like what we were doing. And I kind of can understand why in some respects, but from a deeper point of view, it, was, it had meaning and value. But it was a risk. The book is worshipable. What if they just take it and, you know, and burn it? The preacher takes a risk, but, the, but he or she should be able to digest that risk. That's why preaching should be based on realization. They should be able to digest it. In other words, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, bring the British people here to Mayapur. We'll have a convention, you know, leaders. See, this is one of the reasons why Bhakti Siddhanta didn't join the independence movement and brought people instead out of the independence movement. Why? Because he wanted to preach to the British people. He wanted to get out of the box of India and take this Mahaprabhu's mission all over the world. So by not opposing the British, like the rest of India, was, and they objected to Bhakti Siddhanta for this reason, he was able to get you know, Lord Jetland and this one and that one to, to hear about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. So he went along with the system. And he was prepared to do what? Serve meat. What do you think about that? He was prepared to break the regulative principles and tell his disciples to serve it. And Bhagavatam says, if you serve it, you're implicated. And Prabhupada was there when he said it. And Sri Ramarsh was there too. And I heard from both of them that they were shocked to hear that. And then I heard from Shudamarsh that Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, you're shocked to hear this. He said, but I've already thought of this 200 lifetimes ago. I'm prepared to do anything to bring them to Vaikuntha conception, or Gaur's conception. I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. So the preacher goes out on a limb and he or she to be a preacher has to have that standing that he can or she can digest that. To the extent that you can't digest it, then you have to be a little conservative and careful, and your preaching will be, you know, effective to a point. But to do in a big way. And the task is big now, to be honest with you. The task is big. There are so many devotees, and so many of them are not encouraged. That's a big task. Prabhupada's task was, was big, you know, huge. There were no devotees. But the task is also big. There are many devotees, and there are many of them confused and discouraged and, and don't understand what's the principle and what's the detail and so forth. And, and by adjusting things, oh, you can encourage them, isn't it? They can come forward and they can grow. And sometimes you may, you may talk with them in a certain way, listen to them, encourage them. and You may not be that interested in that, but you're interested in them. They become interested in you, they become interested in bhakti, and then suddenly, they, after a while, they're interested in talking about the things that you're really interested in talking about. Like sometimes myself, I talk to people, whatever they're interested in, I just talk to them about that. That's what I used to do when I sold books. I just find out what they're interested in, talk to them about that. 
And I wasn't just waiting for them to finish. I have no high school education. That's where I learned so many things, talking to people. I actually thought, well, I learned something here, too. This guy's about this. I don't even know what that is. So tell me about it. How do you do that? What is that? I was really interested a lot of times. What do they have to say? Not always. And I, you know, I, I cared for the person. I wanted them to, to share something with them. And I also thought they had something to share. Something. Everybody's got some Krishna consciousness, right? I can learn, you can learn from everybody. When you don't think you can learn from people, you can't preach to them. Because preaching is about listening. That's why Prabhupada said, I listened well, therefore I could preach. 